Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. The topic for today's episode is Training Aikido for Reality. Joining me for this discussion is Martin Williams. Before we start, please consider supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Spirit Aikido Online program, which currently has more than 160 videos. Another option is to contribute any amount you like through the PayPal tip jar. Even small contributions are greatly appreciated. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, on with the discussion. All right, welcome, Mark, Martin Williams. He, uh, he's from the UK. He's a police officer and an Aikidoka, uh, an instructor. And I wanted to have him on today to talk about training Aikido for a reality. And he has a profession that he's actually used his Aikido uh, as part of it as police officer and has done some great innovations with taking his training and making sure that his Aikido is, is applicable. So I wanted to have him on the show today. Welcome, William. I'm sorry, boy. welcome, Martin Williams. <laughs> hey, welcome. Well, good, good to have you. Good to, good to chat. Yeah, excellent. Um, this is, we're going we're gonna to have a great time today. And I, you know, I, I wanted to start this conversation out with covering the topic. I know a lot of people are, are in the, the camp of Aikido is not practical as, as, a, as a martial art. It's not applicable or, or something that can be used in real world situations. And, and it's not that I'm, we're here necessarily to convert people who think that way. I know a lot of people are kind of in the middle where they're curious about, you know, yes, it should be practical, or I think it could be, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And I wanted to have this discussion to just throw some more things on the table for people to contemplate and think about. Um, so maybe we could get started with uh, your experience with uh, seeing the, the, the applicability of, of Aikido with what you do as a police officer, whether it comes to taking people into custody or, you know, apprehending them or calming a situation down, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, as I said, I, yeah, I mean, probably the best way to describe it is we obviously have a officer safety training package, which is delivered uh, in line with what our, whichever force country and all that so we'll have similar so most of the states will have a similar thing there uh and then more often than not people will supplement that with their own training for their own interest i mean i'd like you know partly for the fun of it as well as for me always making sure i've got fitness and some kind of skills to it so that's part of the reason why why i do it uh in relation to how we use it and again that's probably my view there is i think violence is on a sliding scale that's how i view violence uh from one to ten one being you know conflict where you know you're stood with someone they don't like you they give you that dirty look or, or they don't like your presence or wherever it is and that's probably your start at six mm -hmm. up to number 10 where you someone's got you in full mouth on the floor and they're chewing your face off in a really violent capacity so for me, I kind of look at violence on that one, one to ten, thinking, you know, and in between that, you obviously have going up from pushing, grabbing, assaulting, punching, kicking, taking to the floor and, you know, bottling you and that sort of stuff. So you've got like the, the sliding scale. And the vast majority of my work will probably say sits in the lower end. And this is also one of the big things around uh, sort of self-defence martial arts, and especially those who either police officers or door work or militaries, people often expect you because you're that you're going to be really good at self-defense you're going to be really good uh you know and actually one of the big misconceptions is when you work in one of those industries police fire you know police military door work actually there's a 
that conflict has kind of got rules within it. You can't, you know, as a as if one of those three people, you have got a mandate. So I do. If I fight to use force, it's to achieve a lawful objective. It's to arrest someone to prevent disorder from a doorman. I've been a doorman as well. My use of force is to keep the club safe, keep the patrons safe. You know, take the problem outside the club and eject onto the street. If you're a military person, you've got rules of engagement about what your use of force is. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens is people get drawn into the bad end of fighting. You know, people train martial arts people get used to it because they think you know they're going to get into that scenario where it's going to go horribly wrong. There's three or four people fighting, and then you've got that horrifically violent encounter. Whereas the vast majority of encounters probably don't go that far. Mm-hmm. Most conflicts people have probably end up pushing, shoving, arguing, maybe the odd punch train, but it's not, it's rare. It's going to go to that higher end level of violence, but a lot of martial arts and Aikidoka especially, everyone focuses on that real violent end mm-hmm. where actually the vast bulk of your conflict will sit in that lower end of violence. And that's why I think for me, Aikido is a really good benefit because it, it it works in that sort of preemptive situation where if you need to get control, you want to get that control quickly. So it pre- prevents the, con- and again, hold on, it's that, can I use the force that I need to do to prevent conflict getting higher? Because that's that should be the goal of definitely anyone law enforcement or door staff or something like that. But also morally, you kind of want to use the only force you need to do to achieve your objective. You don't want to go beyond that unless you have to. And I think that's for me, Aikido sits in that real low end, you know, one to four on my violent scale. Aikido is a great art. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the, the rules of engagement thing because I think most people understand that that police officers have their rules you know military have their rules there's not as many you know and then you have security people that have their rules but every average citizen also has their rules they just often don't even know that they're that they have them they they tend to be uh, in, in the mindset that i just have to i just have to leave i have to run away i have to flee that that's all they have but regardless of what jurisdiction you're in there are rules for what you can do to apply enough force to protect yourself. And obviously and, and, not more than that. And that's- And, and also as instructors, we should kind of accept, you know, if you're teaching someone martial art, you should think, what, what are the laws of my land? Right. Tell me to do. Right. In America, you've obviously got firearms and concealed carry and you can mm-hmm. carry weapons that you can't in the UK and you can't in other countries. So mm-hmm. actually you should understand what, your parameters you can work within are because they will be different. And if you are, if you're teaching someone to be that martial artist who can break bones and guide, eye, eye gouge and whatever it is you teach, that's all very well. But you're you're implying that knowledge into someone. You need to also make sure that they know when they can do that or when they can't do that because otherwise you're setting them up to fail. I think it was Matt State uh, talks about the, you know, the, the three fights. There's the the pre-fight. You know, you're all building up to it. The actual fight and then the post fight once it's done dusted you've had you got have you are you going to in trouble with the police are you going to have a legal case for you are you have you hospitalized someone you're going to have to live with that conscience of what you inflicted someone else you know it's a bit like a dog's not just for christmas it's the life afterwards it's the same thing here you know once you've had that conflict it's not just going to drop away you're going to you're going to walk away you're going to question yourself you're going to have your own mental did i you know did i do the right thing could i have done something different you know could i have done more could i have done less did i get injured could I, should i have got more aggressive should i be less aggressive and actually have i has my react has my action prompted a, a worse reaction because mm-hmm. we've all done that we've all you know we've all read situations wrong sure. and gone oh, i've gone in a bit heavy-handed or a bit you know a bit brazen and as a result it's gone probably wrong but also get it right i've not gone in 
you know, with enough presence and it's escalated, or had I come in with that higher show of force, I'd probably ended the conflict much quicker. Mm-hmm. All valuable skill. Sure. You know, one thing that occurred to me in, in the preparation for this show is, is a concept that the, a martial art itself does not have virtue. Um, it's the person that, that is the martial yeah. artist that has virtue or not, or the conscience or not. And, and I, for many discussions and arguments that I've seen about Aikido versus some other art, not some from a physical standpoint, but from like a spiritual enlightenment standpoint, it really doesn't, it's, doesn't have anything to do with the techniques or, or how, the, how you would apply it. Um, it's what the person does with it. And that's something that is unique to each martial artist. Um, you can be a benevolent boxer or wrestler or you know, any, any other artist. It's not the, the tools, it's how you use the tools. And I think um, you know, when it comes to people often think of it's easy to think of martial arts and immediately put the template of fighting on top of it, you know, because we see violence in movies, we see it in sport. Um, and it's easy to think, well, what's, what's the best and what's the you know, most virtuous. And because we're not being, you know, like professional fighters, then we're obviously have some kind of virtue within our art. And, and I think that that's a mistake to try to attach personal, your personal judgment and morals to a martial art. It's just how you use it. And I think, because I've met martial artists of every stripe that have high moral character and, they, you know, they openly admit it. Like, I'm not here to, to enact violence on somebody unless it's absolutely necessary and I'm not going to go farther than, than I need to. So that's not a uniquely Aikido concept. We were saying in the UK, I don't know if you've got it there, it's, it's not the size of the dog in the, sorry, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. Mm-hmm. And what that means is you... There are people who are incredible martial artists, massive presence, physical presence. You know, you look at them and you think, oh, God, I wouldn't want to rumble with them. Mm-hmm. Actually, they might not have that capacity to deliver levels of violence that they need to, and vice versa. I've worked doors many years ago, and I talk, I talk more about my door experience because I'm happy to talk definitely around that. Is One of my best mates was a small lad, much smaller than me. I'm 6'3", um, probably 100 kilos, uh, Bit, bit more, bit more flab than muscle these days, but still, <laughs> still, still not horrific. And my, you know, my smaller mate, he was always better at reading the situation. He'd be the first one into that conflict, usually the last one out. And it's that you know, he would just be more comfortable at moving into it. Mm-hmm. And I also work with people who are, you know, made me look small, and you could see that response wasn't quite there. That mindset, and it's it's something that I think is really hard to train the mindset. Some people have it. Mm-hmm. Some people don't. Can you develop it? Yes, you can. You know, the military take people from, you know, breaking down and turn them into, you know, killing machines on the other side. You know, it's a bit of an exaggeration. But you, they, they do that. It can be done. They break a lot of people in that process. You know, a lot of people, it isn't for them. They come out of the military, it's not for them. They have problems, you know, they come out and they have problems afterwards from a lot of that breaking down that character. So I think it is, it cannot be overestimated. That, that's a really key part. But I think we talked about earlier is, it's also a key, the key, the best thing that all these jobs can give you is, you know, whether that's military, police, law, bounty, and that sort of stuff. It's the confidence for me going through that fight flight scenario. We all get it. Don't care who you are. If you get into a conflict now, anyone there, you know, your body will kick in, your adrenaline will kick in, your natural reflexes, you cannot stop. Doesn't matter how many conflicts you've had, you will have that same process go through it. What 
I think exposure into those uh, jobs or roles gives you is you get used to it. You can go through it quicker. It doesn't phase you as much when your legs start to shift, you know, shake a little bit because you're turning, you start to feel like this is going to start going wrong. You can work through it because you've been there. You know, actually, when I need to move, my adrenaline will take me to the right place. When I need to grab someone, I feel weak, but I'm not going to be weak. You get used to you climatize yourself to a level of conflict. I think that the problem is, and what well, not problem, the benefit is that brings you through that cycle so you can actually respond better. The people that respond well in conflict are the ones that can retain that element of thinking to think about what's coming next. Sure. Great military people, you watch the Navy SEALs and all that sort of stuff is. You know, it's going it's going horribly wrong around them they retain their formation they retain their training they, they can still think about what they're doing or what they've got to do that makes them great operators same with police same with door staff the ones who can retain that confidence and level-headedness will come out of conflict more often than not better than someone who and you get people who goes oh i just you know, people go oh, i just go dessert when i see you know i see red and that's it i turn to a monster well you might come out you are not going to be as good as someone who can retain their their thinking in that conflict you might win a couple of fights but you're not gonna you're not gonna win win them all you're not gonna come up as well as someone and for me that's probably one of the, a good benefit for martial arts is that that can train you so that you can get used to going out of your comfort zone and being okay with it that will prepare you better and that's probably the main benefit as opposed to actually thinking right i've got a really good coating edge and every time i send that i think i've got the best coating edge in the world and i can dump someone their ass every time i do it that's a great skill, being able to retain, being calm and actually manage your, your emotions, their emotions and conflict will be a far better skill than having a great technique that works every time. Uh, that's that. a good point. I think, you know, bridging the fear we often see, you know, within violence a lot of in time in movies and TV where you have the hero who's totally confident or even the villain and they enact violence and they do it so calm and cool that you think, well, okay, this is must be how it goes but it's not like that in real world in the real world just like you describe there will always be the butterflies in your stomach you'll always be managing a bit of the fear you know it's, and the, the, the thing with fear is it can totally immobilize you you know yeah. and it can cripple your thinking it can cripple your your ability to move or to problem solve or all that so my first my first times doorman please not stop you you get to real you're free, you know. I, like I said, the first time I was on the first, first time I worked at door, it happened. I, I, you know, I literally was having to say to myself, "You've got to go in." You know, you, you know, literally, I'm literally almost out of body saying, "What are you doing?" You know, it's go and help, go and help, go get stuff in. And it takes it took five, ten seconds the body just to, mm -hmm. you know, to do it. You know, I, that was fear. That, that was, you know, you would you would not be a normal person if you didn't have that fear. If you've never had someone pick a fight with you and that sort of stuff, if you you would. I thought I'd be more worried if someone didn't have that response, you know. Right. Uh, and I guess that bridges us into how what you started to do to take the this into your Aikido training. And yeah, I mean, for me, the, that dealing with the fear and being a little beyond your comfort zone is an important thing to to do with training. And it starts out in very very small doses. You know, you can't just go into full bonzo. You have to start out with you know just staying a little out of your comfort zone and, and getting a little bit of tension there or and sometimes even when you just want to work on specific practice with technique is to imagine that fear like imagine you have that your that inside your body feeling of of that confrontation and um, so what did you do to to start what, what was the beginning of your adventure down this road or your and 
before I sign up, I just like Aikido. I love Aikido. I didn't like, if I didn't like Aikido, I would keep doing it. Uh, so oh, yeah, whilst, I, whilst I have some negatives, I think that it's, so for me, the big thing about Aikido is, I think Aikido is the foundations really well. You know, you so a new student starts, you teach them to roll so they can not hurt themselves. You teach them basic principles, time and co, how the body will react to certain movements. We go, go into hair, kata. We've got, we, but we build all the foundations of Aikido really well. Like most martial arts, no different to karate, no different to BJJ. I mean, I do BJJ and Aikido, my two arts I'm doing. It's no different to BJJ. I know I go to my club, they'll say, right, here's today's technique, we'll break it down, we'll learn it, we'll, we'll build on it. Mm-hmm. Aikido does all that and it just kind of stops. For me, there, it just goes, right, we're not really going to pressure test it. We're not going to, for me, if you, you need to have a technique you can do under resistance. So actually, when someone doesn't want to do that technique to them, uh, and I don't just mean stood there being like, I'm not going to move. I mean, like, if I try, if, if I if I grabbed you, you would move and I'd respond to that. Instead of Aikido, we seem to grab someone, they move and you just kind of stay your feet rooted and, you know, you bend around it. Whereas in real life, if, you, if, if I grabbed you and you took a step back, I'd probably just step forward with you and we'd, we'd keep doing that until I, you know, or if I grabbed you, I'm going to pull you to the wall or pull you to the, you know, outside the club or to the toilet or whatever is going mm-hmm. on. And, we, have, we don't have that development like you know, and then what we don't have as well is unpredictability. So that you know, even our piece of resistance, even our randori or ninjori sambu, whatever you call it, which is kind of Aikido's, you know, best pressure test or uh, you know what we aim for, the, the pinnacle of Aikido training, is still very organised. You know, the, the, the Aikido we I do in my organisation, it's very much the attacks are all you know they're set. I think it's either going to be a punch, shomenuchi, yokomenuchi type attack, or maybe a grab. So I know there's a choice of three or four attacks coming and the sort of etiquette is, whilst there might be three people, yes, they will all take turns and attack, but you almost wait for that person to, the, the first attack to be being dealt with and then you launch the second one. So I don't get three people closing me from three angles or trying to strike me at the same time. I get one person as I'm dealing with that. I know the second attack's on its way. So, but it's still an element of coordination. It's not as unpredictable. So what I wanted was, I need to bring some. I need to bring in training that will increase resistance and will increase unpredictability, mm-hmm. because that will be because that's what happens in the real world. You know, you're not going to you're going to get something you're not quite expecting, and you're going to do something that's probably not going to work, and you're going to need to be able to respond to it not working. Where do I go from that? So that, that in my head is where the gap was, and for me there were two parts to it. One was a temi, and I'll cover that as a separate topic. And then secondly, it was just our basic training. We I said most martial arts have a system where you go from, you know, paired kata, you know, learn technique, practice it, paired kata, and then some form of pressure testing, rolling in BJJ, sparring in boxing, whatever you want to call it, judo, match fighting, you know, taekwondo, a point fight. Every martial art seems to have that element. We the just don't have it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I literally just started to the first, and again, what I'm probably going to do is I got a lot of it wrong. Like we brought pads in. Some of the pressure testing we would do would be get like the big tie pads and we would be just delivering, you know, just literally raining down blows on each other and just trying to avoid stuff. I had little like drill, we'd set up workstations. So like one person would, you know, there'd be four of you in a queue, you'd all have a different role, different set of pads, different, you know, whether it was like charging someone down with a big pad and you'd, you'd all have a go in the middle, like having a little test that. And some of it worked, uh, some of it didn't work because we were doing like focus pads. Again, we some people are trained with haven't done boxing or haven't done other martial arts or haven't done striking arts in the past. So actually it was very apparent striking was a big issue that we weren't striking properly. Therefore we're not going to be able to 
defend it if we're not doing it properly in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I'm currently at is I've devised a little five-step drill, uh, one bit I've put on the internet in a video before, the rest of it I'll try and get filmed up. And it was, part step one was climatizing yourself to a little bit of violence. And it was, someone grabs you, they, they can grab me any way they want, so it doesn't matter, cross hands, you know, Gyaku, I hand me, Mundadori, they grab however they want to grab. I let the grab settle, and my job is just to get out of it and get into a position where I can deliver a proper Temi and visualise the Temi. Because in Aikido, we do a lot of notion Temi, you know, some of them will blend, and you certainly put your company, you'll you blend in, and they sort of put their, their Yokum and strike back somewhere near the face and just stops. And again, I was a bit like, do this technique, get in close enough. If you're visualizing punching someone, place your hand right onto their nose and mentally visualize the damage that's going to do because you need to kind of start thinking, actually, right, I'm close enough here. I'm going to, I'm going to hit him in the nose and his nose is going to splinter open. It's going to be blood and snot and everything there and his head's going to go back. Get used to feeling and thinking what that's going to look like. So that was the first part of the drill. The second part was like doing grabs, but moving so that actually they're trying to grab me and I'm just not letting them grab, just move around. And it gets really chaotic. And the other thing about this is, I don't think people like doing this in Aikido is it doesn't look good. As soon as you start bringing in unpredictability and resistance, it looks crappy. It doesn't look that nice because no one puts on a better demo than Aikido clubs. You know, Christian Tissier puts on, you know, the best martial art demonstration, with the exception of like the Wushu fancy stuff. Aikido, I think, does the best demonstrations. Oh, no, yeah, one likes no one likes demonstrating where they look scrappy or it goes wrong, or you as a sensei don't get it right and get clumped because that's part of what happens. No one does that. I think that's, that, that lets us down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the second drill was just keeping that. Third drill, keep some focus mitts, getting used to just moving off, you know, keep, keeping your distance. And then when the mitts pop up, couple of strikes, moving in into a position where you, and I'm, my big philosophy is you can't do Aikido until someone is off balance and you, you're you on balance, they're off balance, and you've got some sort of slightly dominant position. So you're off to 45 degrees, you've got an arm drag, you've got a, an underhook, you've got a bit of a clinch on, you've got some form of control. Some they have lost a bit of control. Then your Aikido starts. If you don't get in that position, you can't do Aikido. So again, I'd like to just a couple of things, bang a few pads, move in, get some sort of dominant position and then break away. I then flipped it with, they would then start to put some MMA mitts on, throw a couple of attacks. And again, it was, I don't care what attack you throw, could be two, could be three. You throw the punches or blows, whatever you see fit. All I've got to do is not get hit. And again, do some stuff you've shown, like head covers, mm-hmm. you know, wing chun long blocks, whatever you want to do, tighten the back of your movements, you bring in your idea, just don't get hit. And then get yourself in a position where, again, I can start to try and control that person. And then the fifth stage, and the fifth one is where I haven't got it right yet. And I'm still looking to try and develop it, is bringing those in together. So actually what I do, I almost start with a judo hold with both you and Yuki and Tori are trying to wrestle for position. Mm-hmm. So I get into that. Again, you know, I'm trying to get into a dominant position. He's trying to get into a dominant position. You know, we can move around, we can grab, we can pull each other around. I'd like to bring in some sort of low end of Temis to it as well, so you can kind of hit. The idea being that can I get into a sort of dominant position, and then you know that's where, and for me that that builds on those basic skills of taking our keto techniques and getting into a position where we can start to apply them. And the first four stages I'm kind of happy with. The fifth one I'm still working on getting it right. I was looking at throwing in like shooting for legs and takedowns because it's, it's a valid, you know, mm-hmm. 
most fights end up on the ground at some point. Either you, because you've had your, you know, you've been knocked on your ass and you're on the ground, or you get lucky and you put someone on the ground. So again, it's not a bad place to think. Actually, it's not. It's not a scary place to go. And again, a lot like you know, I think it's from one of your videos from your early spirit kid where you talk about the fight doesn't end when it lands on the floor. Actually, and I brought that into the training now is Aikido doesn't work on. Yeah, you know, we don't finish in the pin because pinning someone who doesn't want to be pinned is not impossible. Uh, you know, BJJ the entire art is about making sure you don't get pinned on the floor. So, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of like you do, a lot of like, you know, people think, you know, they'll, they'll do like an Ikkyo, oh, put the Ikkyo pin, it's all nice and controlled. Just practice with your partner, right? I'll put me in an Ikkyo pin and I'm just not going to let you do it. I can guarantee you most people will get out of it and you won't get that pin on. So why are we focusing on Aikido and finishing that pin? Actually, so from your video, I brought that training in to say, right, okay, do a technique, the fight doesn't finish until that person's back up on their feet. So put, you know, do an Ikkyo, put on the floor, you back away, as the, as the attacker, stand over them, start looking for me, could I get a headshot in, could I get what's thrown to my head? Person on the floor, get to your back, get up. Once once they're back on their feet, that technique's finished because that's what you want to do in the real world. If I get put in my arse, my first job is to not get hurt, get my head covered, don't take any more damage, and then quickly get the help to my feet so I can start addressing the problem. And why don't we train that now, Kido? It makes sense. Why do we finish being letting ourselves be pinned compliantly, mm-hmm. finish the technique, we are both back up, ready to go again. Well, um, and that's, I think, part of part of taking on your training and turning it into a, a, a practice ritual. And, yeah. and it, it's a hyper-focused practice ritual. And yes, it's fun to do. And you can, in that hyper-focus, you can really get some reps and understanding of the that fine one or two seconds between you know point a and point b but as you but you're right is what what happens when c d e and f g happens and as soon as you give your attacker license to say keep going if you can escape escape if you can reverse reverse if you can get out of this imagine like you have evil intent or intent you know what whatever intent it is to keep going you find out and that the, that a lot of the pins are problematic. Um, it's it is not only difficult to set them up. Even when you do the setup quite right, depending on the physiology of the of the person, I found a number of students and fellow fellow students and my students that have got flexible uh, enough flexibility in their shoulders they can roll out of an EKO pin. Um, yeah. You know, I've I've got uh, you know one of one of my students. Um, she's so small and wily it's hard to get her pinned down she's probably the most difficult person to pin in my dojo and not because she's strong but she's so flexible and she's got a high strength to weight ratio because she's small but she's she's physical and pretty strong and you know of all the people i know including the bigger people she'd be the last one i would want to try to have to pin down and hold and immobilize um but there's a few ways to do but that. When do you want to find that out? Do you want to find that out in the dojo? Or do you want to find out when you and there's right. I, I was sitting and I had a friend many years at university. She's a really good martial artist. She'd never had conflict. She never had a fight. And we're out on a night out, and she she got into it. She got into a fight with some girl. You know, she'd done nothing wrong. It was just one of these people who just picked fights with people, and she lost. She was so disheartened because she just. Froze all her training, none of her training worked, none of her training kicked in. What did kick in didn't really work because it never been pressure tested. And, and you know, and it, you know, she did, she came back, she never really came back properly. I'll be honest after that. I think it kind of knocked her so much that she was just off course and never really. 
I don't think she ever had the mindset for violence, if that makes sense. And I think yeah. it, given her, given her a false competence. But it's one of those things, when, when do you want to find out something doesn't work? Do you want to find out in a dojo with a friend? You said, like, you know, my, my mate Paddy, right, you know, let's try this, Paddy. Yeah, I'm going to put Kokich on you. I want you to get out of it. And, you know, you play around five minutes. If you're getting it 50 at a time, I say that's pretty good odds in the real world. Yeah, I'll be happy to take any technique 50 at a time that works. Uh, but would I rather find out, actually, this just doesn't work for me doing it this way. Mm -hmm. I find out in the dojo because then I'm not going to bring that into the real world. And I think that's, again, that's some of the videos I've called from yourself. You know, I've changed some of my techniques based on stuff that I've seen because I'm like, well, okay, you know, Tristan does it this way. Let's have a play around with, uh, I think, well, Katy can tell me where you cut the, the arm really tight into the body and all this mm -hmm. stuff. So mm -hmm. we played around with it and actually I met Paddy could escape from it. So I was like, right, let, let me try it this way, really tight, do something different with it. And it's a lot harder. So I'm like, okay, we've played around with it. I'll take that on board. And some of that will, yeah, some stuff will work. Some stuff I play around and think actually doesn't really work for me. So, mm -hmm. you know, I can play with it. But, you know, it's it's finding what works for you. Your Aikido, it's not my Aikido, and it won't be someone else's Aikido. You've got to find what will work for you. But find it out now. Don't find it out Friday night right. when somebody... When, it, when it's, it. yeah, when there's really uh, something... There, you're trying to cut against someone thinking, why am I getting punched in the face? Why is he on the floor? You know, that's not when you want to find out that actually doesn't work for you that way. You've got to do something different. Uh, sure. So that, that's my big thing is, and again, that comes back to that. Have you got a bit of resistance in your training? Have you got a bit of unpredictability? If you've got those two things and you're starting to get results, you're probably in a good place. If you're trying techniques and you're never getting to succeed, then you probably also look at actually how am I doing the technique? Or is it is it actually the technique that is a bit too complicated and probably doesn't need to be, you know, Aikido's okay. We all know small joint manipulation is quite fine skill. So actually. Can you do it under pressure? Can you do it whilst, you know, all that stuff's going on? If you can't, then go to more gross skills. The Rimanagi, I'm sure you love a Rimanagi, especially as yeah. a tall guy like me. You know, everyone's perfectly face height and almost. So Rimanagi to me is a great technique. I'm sure you love it because oh, of yeah. that. And it's, very, it's simple. You know, the mechanics are, you know, you tip their head back, their balance goes, and point, you know, and then all you need is a bit of body weight goes through it. It's, it's a very simple technique. It's a gross skill. It doesn't need... Yes, you can make it fine and beautiful, but as a rudimentary day technique, it works really well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, along along that path of exploration, which which uh, I was blessed to be able to start with, you know, long about probably 10, 10, 12 years ago or more. What I found is that certain techniques, I, I just label them as fussy. There, there's a lot of things to go wrong with them. Um, I've found that every time you add another step, which is either a step with your foot or a turn or a body position or something that you need to get or a grip or a hand position. Every single one of those things is one thing that can go wrong. And you're right. I, I do like a Riminage. I like Sayunage, which is an Riminage technique. Um, there's a couple that I just consider reliable go-tos that are, are, they're just not fussy. It's very easy to see that you're in a good position to, to do one. And it's a basically one step and done yeah. thing not you know playing with your food as i'll sometimes refer to it um and it's good to practice the intricate and, and the more complicated to get a feel for it uh but it's there are those things that your your brain and your body easily trust and there's stuff that in my my mind that it just it's not very trustworthy um yeah. and i will say that that uh, and i've got a show coming up on this subject 
uh, on, on the schedule, which is Koshinage. Um, as a tall, as a six foot four guy, getting my center underneath somebody's hips and being stable and executing Koshinage when they're active and trying to avoid it is, in my opinion, is probably one of the fussiest Aikido techniques out there. Against a compliant co cooperative uke, yeah, you can do it. It's still not pleasurable for me because I got to bend low enough to get underneath, but I can tell it was a, a technique that was invented by shorter people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so it might not fit me very well, although there's another instructor here in the Twin Cities who's as tall as I am, and he does a fantastic koshinage. Um, you know, maybe it's one of those fits different personalities as well, you know, different body types as well as different personalities. But when I've tried it, I've kind of gotten it to work and, and can do it smoothly. The entry, you know, good portion of the time, I'd never trust it in, yeah. in, you know, in live fire, because as soon as I tell Uke, all right, you're active and now you can, you can do whatever you want to try to get out of this or, or counter it. And then it just turns into kind of a mess. Um, yeah. And maybe that's just my personal experience. I know I've got a lot more to learn, but um, the setup is always I, I there's some, intricate. There's some fantastic techniques, Aikido, but some of them, as you said, are very dojo-based or limited in their window of application. Like what I talked about, I don't know if you're in your uh, biking Aikido. So it's so you usually see it. Someone comes in with a big showman, you sort of curl into a ball at their feet and they go flying over you. Mm -hmm. You know, looks fantastic in a demo has a lot that can go horribly wrong with it. You know, mm -hmm. at best, if you did something on the street, they would probably just fall and collapse on top of you at best. You know, God forbid, you basically just give something on your back and you're now, there's a lot. Now, I'm not saying it's not, you know, you never know, you might get an opportunity to sure. present it, but you might get knocked on your your back and actually just by rolling into someone, you kind of do an IG naggy sort of technique to some degree. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not without its merit, but it's not one, yeah, I'll, I'll happily play with it. And it's good. Again, don't think about Aikido is good fun. I, you know, it's great fun firing something full pace and then doing a nice big ukemi from it. You know, it looks great and it, it's fun. So, but train for what. And my big thing up here is be honest about what we're training. If you're training that technique, it's mainly about fun in certain aspects. It's not necessarily something that I would ever say, well, I'd take this, you know, you can use this in the outside world. And if people do that, I've got no issues. My big problem sometimes is when people try and dress up a a pony to call it a racehorse they sort of say oh this, this is you know this will save your life and you're like it's not going to work like that you know have you pressure tested it have you mm -hmm. done something with it to really understand it because i don't think you have uh that's where sometimes i think well, we don't let ourselves down in like, you know, people don't whether they haven't and it was an interesting there was a conversation from another aikido group around does aikido attract certain types of people but mm -hmm. to some degree i think it does i think you know most people take up aikido either done on their arts and the sort of Potentially come to the twilight of their lives and decide they don't want to fight and get bashed up anymore. Some people don't like the idea of, you know, rolling around, getting punched, kicked, bitten, you know, leaving with injuries. You know, like, you know, other martial arts. You know, if you do MMA fighting, you're going to be more injured than you are from Aikido, probably. You're probably going to have black eyes. But, you know, the potential injuries there in all of them. But, you know. Yeah, there's not a lot of cauliflower ear people uh, with Aikido, in Aikido. Yeah. <laughs> but you go to any, any, any other, you know, you go to Mutai, MMA, BJJ, even some of the that Jason Crichton stuff, you're going to get hurt and injured. And I think a lot of people don't like that. So they come to Aikido because you know, that's that they can they can do their martial arts, mm -hmm. but they're not going to get definitely injured over the top of it. So that attracts a certain people, but then also that, that mentality comes to the people who probably aren't going to 
push the extra mile when it goes horribly wrong. Um, right. So, but yeah, I mentioned the Temi though, because I mean, my big bugbear that I carry is a Temi. Uh, I do what we call notional Temi. What that means is everyone, and I speak to people, and they go, oh, we do a Temi, you know, Aikido is 9% of Temi, 10% of Temi, you know, it changes on a daily basis. And we're going to say to people, okay, when do you mean you do a Temi? Do you practice hitting pads and people? Because if you don't, you're not doing a Temi. Right. And the simplest thing I can say, if anyone is thinks of saying, oh, yeah, what can I do to make my Aikido better is invest in a set of 10 pound focus mitts, even if you want to stay within mainstream Aikido techniques, actually practice doing the upper military attacks against the pad. So you're stepping in, hitting a pad, mm-hmm. and actually getting used to hitting. Because it's it's all very well doing a notional thing. You need to hit someone with precision, pace, and power. Otherwise, you're not going to do any damage. If you're not and practicing intent. that, yeah, yeah. If you're not doing that, you're not going to do it for it. If you only ever throw a notional temi and stop short, you're never going to hit someone's real. You know, you're never going to be better the real world than you are in the gym. So why don't even if you want to stay in that kiddie world just, you know, practice your showmanship on, on pads get used to thinking oh actually if I hit someone it jars my body you know I'm not going to be that nice elegant blend mm-hmm. if you're actually lying laying your community back in someone's face it's going to jar your body it's going to disrupt how you react just by hitting someone so if you don't practice that you're not going to know what it feels like then bring that back into your world so when you know if someone does a sheer naggy from Yokerman you know the Aikikai, the gold standard thing is, you know, you sort of blend, select the hand, you go into a nice sheer naked move. Actually, get used to blending and hitting that person with a bit of pad because you'll find their body will react and move differently because you've hit them or you've hit, you've caused them to have an impetus of force. Your body reacts like differently. Something you might find that it's hard to get a technique on. Mm-hmm. We just don't do enough of it in Aikido. We get every, you get people go, oh, we do, we do a temi. What they mean is they do British large shouting PIs and they're, you know, it's hard and it's fast, but they're not still not hitting people, getting used to hitting something. It, 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 it's, it's weird, you know. If you've never hit someone, it's actually really hard to do, you know. Just, uh, I remember grading my, my my sort of Chinese martial arts stuff. The first time we did it, I actually got pulled out of the grading because I wasn't hitting the bloke. I like the bloke, but I found it really hard to bare knuckle punch him in the face because if you if you missed, you got a full pelt punch in the face. I was pulling my punches mm-hmm. because. It was really hard for me to switch on that mindset. And go, no, it's his benefit. He's he's volunteered to the grading. If I hit him, it's his. It, it was a really hard thing to do. Uh, second time I did a grading, I, I managed to find that switch and turn off and was able to hit the person with no issues. Uh, but it's hard to do that if you've never practiced hitting a pad. You're not going to suddenly turn up Friday night and deliver someone a you know an attempt that knocks them flying. You're not going to do it. So why why aren't we doing more attempt training like that? You know, it's funny you mentioned that because along the road, you know, I find that students, because you're right, martial arts attract certain types of people. I I have found that that my dojo attracts usually, uh, I guess you'd say pretty nice people that want to learn martial arts, but they're not in the, I want to hurt people. I, you know, they don't attract that type of folk. Um, what I've found is a challenge is getting people over the shyness of put even just putting their hands on somebody because civilized people are like, you know, you don't touch somebody, you know, much less put your hand in their face or, you know, things like that. And a Temi work exactly the same way. It's easy for us to, you know, watch movies and see somebody, you know, a, a fist land and then the person goes flying backwards and you think, oh my God, if I hit somebody with a fist, that's going to happen. It's like, no, not even close. 
In fact, just last night we were working on, on punching mechanics and whatnot, because I think it's important for every martial artist to know how to hit hard. Like that's yeah. just period. If you're, if you don't know how to hit hard, you're not a martial artist. I hate to say it. You're, I don't know what you're doing, but it's not, not the thing you need to know. And so we were working on this and I've got a couple of new students and, you know, I focused them rather than hitting the face. Cause that's even more out of bounds than, than the body. We started with, with pads, you know, delivering the, the hip mechanic and that we're working on the double hip and things like that. And I said, all right, now we're going to, we did, you know, we're working for power to get the good mechanic. Now we're going to go for targeting and we're going to go for, we're going to hit each other basically just right in the stomach. And, you know, we're just stay away from the solar plexus. We don't want to knock anybody's wind out or anything, but just right in the belly and with the penetration to actually take posture. Cause that's going to be, you want to fold somebody, you know, so you're yeah. going to drive through. So you're not just aiming to get that, that impact you're going through the stomach. And I had, we had to work on it for a half an hour to get people to actually go past the, the ghee into the skin and past into the, you know, stomach towards the spine. And the, there was so much shyness. Oh, I don't want to hurt them. I'm like, no, you're, you're, you're not going to hurt them. You're just going to fold them. And it, yeah. that it, it takes a while and it's not the physical, it's more the mental. Like <laughs> I'm going to impose on you and I'm going to take your posture. And it's like, this is how to me, a Temi works is you use that, motion to take the posture not because you want to cause harm and damage you, that's what it's there to do um and i've the other one i found that takes a great bit of uh training to overcome that mental shyness is shomenate is take having their hand come up in somebody's face and just move their head it, it yeah. will take me a couple of weeks to get some but a normal nice person over the the idea over the repulsion of actually touching somebody else's face and, you know, it's, it's, there's some good mind lessons that come in there of, you know, if somebody's going to enact violence on you, they don't have any hesitation about putting their hands on you. So realize that in the situation you are, the rules have now changed. You're not, you're no longer dealing with a civilized person. You're now dealing with someone who has no regard for your safety. And this is where that switch, like you said, has to go on. Or you could say, I take my civilization switch and just switch it off for a second. Like yeah. I need to control you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I'd say 90% in the mind versus in the body. And that's what the training has to cover. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, it's like, it's, you know, train, train hard, play easy, talk, you know, fight easy, isn't it? That sort of thing. If you don't, if you don't experience it in training, you're not going to magically do it in the real world. That's why, you know, you know, that's, that's the key thing for me. You know, if you've never hit a pad, mm -hmm. you're not going to, you know, if you've always pulled your punches short, on the on the day you need it, you're not something they can deliver the punch drives all the way through. Does you know if you don't you don't train it, you won't do it. You know, chances are you won't you know you won't do it to the level you train it at. You know, you'll never. As I said you'll never be as good in the real world as you are at the gym. You know, but if you don't if you don't progress to those stages, you can't you can't expect yourself to suddenly perform on the day. Right. No, one, no one does that. So yeah. it's. And but, you know, so we, as we were recovering it last night too, I, I made sure to, to say, you know, if you're, if you're the UK, if you're the one that's taking the punch to the belly, for one thing, you're not just a, a punching dummy. You're starting to learn what it's like to be punched mm -hmm. and to realize it's not that big of a deal because, you know, seeing that, that in a movie, that punch that sends somebody across the room and you realize, man, if I get punched, I'm, I'm going to get blasted. It's like punches don't quite work like that. I mean, unless you're Mike Tyson or so, you know, you're some 
like a real boxer can can hit like a freight train, but most people can't. That takes an extraordinary amount of training to to have that level of punching power. But it also is a bit of a body hardening, you know. Even uh, and I have them hold like a punching shield against their body so they can feel the penetration going in, because that's an old school uh, body hardening uh, right. method. So you start to build up the muscles, they get used to impact and you realize I can take a shot. I, you know, it's not a big deal. And that builds up the mind part, realizing that your mind doesn't totally crumble when somebody lays a shot on you. And the more you get used to it, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, but it's funny seeing that the initial reaction of, oh my gosh, I'm going to get punched and I get a brand new student. And when, it, when his partner would come in to start the punch he'd start folding up before the punch even got there it's like you know no just stay, stand there don't be afraid of it you know and so it won't hurt I, I sort of comfortable so going back you know it's yeah. like confident in you know again even if you get like this a big just a big pads like the old slide pads on you just start battering if, mm -hmm. if you could do that and actually you know the first time you do it someone who's never done it will probably find a really horrible dark situation mm -hmm. but once they've done it once or twice and they come out and think actually i've I've survived that. You know, actually, I you know I didn't take that many blows to the head, and mm -hmm. even the ones I took, you know, I shrugged off. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. But then, of course, the next time, as you said, you, you can't just throw them into a shark tank straight away and say, right, you know, your first first night on session, everyone's going to back to you because they'll never come back, and you'll you'll destroy you know, any confidence. You build mm -hmm. that confidence up, but you've got yes. to you know, you've got to build it, get it wrong a little bit, and think, well, actually, you know, I survived that. But I was, you know, and I did a video with Matt again, Matt Stay. I went to see him and. We put gloves on, and he was like, "Right, you know, I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna throw a bunch at you. You can kind of do your arguments and long, long blocks to see how many block." And I'll be honest, he was hitting me 78 percent of the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, he's like, "Right, let's do some, you know, tighter covering up and just more practical stuff." And I think I, I had the gloves on, I was hitting him, and I was hitting him 20 percent of the time. So it was very much a case of there's nothing wrong with getting it wrong and actually right. go right, okay, let's try something. Right, it's not quite working. Because you will learn from that. And again, as long as, you, as long as it's not done in case of, you know, he, he wasn't going 100% power and knocking my head off. He was just proving the point that he could go that level of distance, you know. And same thing. It's that, it's, you know, it's, like you said, it's that taking that step, which Aikido seems to stop at the moment. It's taking that next step. Right, okay, let's just add that complexity to it. Let's, let's, let's just, you know, and I'm not saying we want, do we want full competitions like Aikido? You know? No, I don't think we should go down the competition route. Uh, do we want full on? Pressure. Do you want full on sparring with you know all that stuff on? There's some benefit to it, but I don't necessarily think. But we, we need to have something. We need to have something that says, right, okay, you know, at a certain level, you should be able to, you know, at a mid mid level orange belt or uh, you know, green belt or something like that, you should be able to deal with someone coming in, sticking some random attacks at you. And you should be able to get this way. You can kind of get some control on it. You know, we need to have that ability to, and as you get better. That ability should increase as well you know, as a showdown or medium or something like that you should be able to think, actually i can get to that position much quicker or i i'm going to take less damage in than someone who's only you know a lower grade you can build that little concept continually push you know push someone just slightly outside their comfort zone let them come back in and then keep pushing it and then just keep moving the goalpost of where that comfort zone is and, you know I, I, don't, I don't propose to end up with a full-on sparring like you know because it would it would be very weird, mm -hmm. but we need we we haven't got anything in between at the moment. The nearest we've got is our Randori, sure. and I don't think that whilst it's got some great, I don't quite think it's what we're looking for. It's not what I'm looking for because mm -hmm. it's not. I'm not going to be stood there with three people. The reality is, it's not like how good a martial arts are. If you've got three people taking you on, you're 
your chances of success are are slim, mm-hmm. <laughs> even if you're very good martial arts. Yeah, and my view of martial arts is that's you're looking at you're balancing the odds of the fight. If I'm in a conflict, you know, I, I'm starting at 50 50. Mm-hmm. You know, 50 percent chance I might win, 50 percent chance my partner can come off better. What can I do to just tip the odds in my favor slightly? Well, been out doing some sort of CrossFit training today, so trying to keep my fitness up. Mm-hmm. You know, mentally, what have I done to prepare my mental state to keep myself slightly better? My physical skills, my IQ control skills, I'm tipping that balance of that odds that I'm going to hopefully come off better than my opponent. I'm never going to win all the time. There'll be people that better than me. Their luck is a big thing. You know, you, know, you can't predict luck on a better word. You know, you cannot win every conflict. All you can do is improve your odds that hopefully you'll come out better than if you hadn't done anything. And that's, that's kind you know, of the best one thing that, that I wanted to toss in there. Uh, and this is just kind of a half point back, which was you talked about. Um, you know, the, the full hundred percent intensity sparring type pressure test, I guess you'd call it, or, you know, you yeah. call it a competition. And what I found that with the, the head covers and bringing elbows up, what I've found that we, that tends to discourage full on attacks, even as we started increasing intensity, 60, 70, 80% or more, those elbows tend to find fists pretty quick and and biceps and it can actually uh when you take on dealing with those attacks and protecting yourself it's you're kind of like a porcupine that a full-on heavy duty full intensity attack can actually harm the the attacker and that's kind of a fe- to me it's a feature not a bug um in the fact that you know if if somebody really was trying to take your head off a you'd cover your head but they might hit their hand and, and bust their hand or, you know, you impale their, their bicep or shoulder with your elbow. Um, you know, and even with that, the frame of somebody who's charging into a tackle, they're running their neck into your forearm. And I've got my most durable student. He's a, a retired firefighter now, but he's, he's like a bulldog, big, strong. And even he said, you know, I, I, this is about as much as I want to attack is that, clavicle in the neck you run right into that forearm that that hurts and you know i when it comes time for okay will this and this is a big question i'm sure every martial artist asks and i know a lot of aikido ask is can i handle that 100 percent intensity attack well you get there by going can you deal with successfully deal with a 20 percent attack and then can you deal with a 40 percent and then a 60 percent and if it starts crumbling at 40, 60%, you know, 80 to hundred percent is not going to work. But as you start getting to the point where your attacker says, I don't even want to attack you any more rigorously. Cause this is, this is an unpleasant experience. Um, and that's just you protecting yourself. It's not you actually going to try to cause them harm. You're getting off the line and, and putting up a head cover and they run into it. To me, that's one of those, uh, it's a real world benefit in, in those two ways. Because, um, you know, having somebody slug you and hit an elbow and their hand hurts, maybe that shifts their mind and says, you know what, this is about as far as I want this to go. And maybe that's where they back off and leave. And you sure. didn't have to give them a throat punch or poke them in the eye or kick them in the, in the nuts or anything like that to, to get them to back off. Um, and that mind part, and this is why I wanted to, to bring this up as well, is that the mindset of your attacker is the hardest thing to simulate in the dojo. Like it's, 
it's in fact, I think impossible. You can kind of get close if you got somebody who's got a little bit of acting ability, but it's, we just cannot fully simulate uh, an, a real attack situation in a controlled environment because the, the student knows I've, I've got my gi on, I know where there's pads all over the place, or, you know, I know I'm in a safe place here in the dojo, whereas it, you're out in the real world, your, your brain just goes, anything can happen. And there's, there's a difference there. And I, I don't think we can ever bridge that, that difference. No, no and I don't think, you said, I didn't even realize, the only way we're doing it would be to bring someone in, like uh, who's, you know, the, the little pub across the way, give someone 10 quid to go in the pub and, you know, be, mm -hmm. yeah, no, I, I, don't, I don't think you're right. I think, I think you could never, you can never recreate. And also there's so many variables and situations, you know, you can, you know, we, you could go, right, let's go to, you know, we've done it. We, we went to the local pub uh, and did a little bit of filming one night and kind of said, right, you know, uh, and but you can never recreate how the fights are going to happen. I mean, right. the last the last time I had uh, an argument with someone, it was a road rage incident. And I always said to myself, if I'm in a car and I get to you know, I don't what I don't want to be is sat in the car, my window down, and then outside the window. That's a really bad place. I'm sat, I'm seated, the window's open. They've got, you know, it's, it's not a great place to start a conflict off. Mm -hmm. So would I? Then the reality is, if I'm if I'm getting to a road rage incident, do I either stay in the car, keep the windows up, because I've seen people do it. It's quite hard to smash your way through a window unless you've got some sort of implement. You know, punching a window is going to break my hand fairly quickly. Uh, or I'm out. I'm, I'm one or the other. I'm either out of the car, so we're on level playing field, or in the car, and I'm wearing windows up, and I'm just going to ignore it and drive off or whatever I choose to do. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, that's in my head. That's what I'm always prepared for. And of course, what happened? Uh, we came to set traffic lights. Like I, I assumed you lost in one of directions. Of course, I wound my window down, saying, "Are, are you lost?" To which I get responsive. I don't like your automatic headlights and keep going full beam because you know, it's got like automatic headlights to size. And obviously, every time we go around the corner, it went full beam, came back around behind him, went to low beam again. Mm. And it suddenly started into a, an argument. And I was suddenly very conscious of, I'm in the one place I said to myself, I didn't want to be, which was sat in my car, seatbelt on, sat thinking he's now stood free reign to start wading through the window if he wanted. So, of course, what I had to do was. Right, you know, in my head, I, I, I apply what I call the MDM, minimize the damage I'm going to get, disrupt the person, and if I have to maximize the damage I'm going to inflict. I don't mean that going to like the, the eye straight to the outcomes. I mean a quick technique that's going to, the quickest technique that can get me extracted. So it might be a push and run. It could be some, you know, something more than that, but it's, mm -hmm. it's what, what's going to be quick and easy to finish it. And in that situation, you're so stacked against me. As much as I didn't like it, I had to be fairly respectful. I'm really sorry about the lights. Da, da, da. You know, I'll turn them off. Yeah, because what I didn't want to do is, pro, you know, I was in, I was starting on the back foot. So actually, how am I going to minimise the damage? Or actually, I don't want this to become a conflict. I'm going to have to, you know, potentially give in more than I would like. You know, so, you know, be a bit more apologetic, be a bit more humble than I should. You know, I know, I know what. You know, I didn't have to do anything like that. I'd done nothing wrong. But you know, if I was arrogant and ego, I said no job on it becomes a conflict I, i'm in a bad place so you've got to assess every situation mm -hmm. and again that, for me that comes back to that calm mindset of right i'm in a bad place how do i extract myself from it mm -hmm. you know other people might just have frozen other people might start arguing trying to get their, trying to get their seatbelt off so they can get out of the car and of course you, you're not going to win that conflict he's going to you know he's going to keep the door shut and start raining punches i mean i'm not going to be able to deal with that so again it's that calm mindset of right the conflict's happening what's my best route out of this one. Uh, 
gone go from there. And I think again, that, well, and, and it, like like it's impossible to to simulate the full level ten violence realistically. <clears throat> the setup is also something that's almost impossible to simulate. And I've worked with law enforcement officers that have done that uh, that scenario training. And they can get kind of close, but even then, there are so many indications that you won't have in a dojo environment that you will have in a real world, you know, that tell you, your instincts tell you, like, what is this person's intent and reading them. And, but those things are not accurate when you are dealing with your trainer or a coach or, or somebody like that. Like I said, you can kind of get close, but all the things that you need to make your judgment of, okay, what is this situation? Like you were in a car. Um, you know, you were able to read somebody, but if I, you and I were training and we tried to role play that and we went out on the street, it just would be totally fake. Um, so you, and that therefore you question your judgment. So the training itself like that can only have a limited amount of effect. I mean, it does in terms of like, did you abide by your rules of engagement? If you have them as a you know police officer or whatever your rules of engagement are, and I've done them, it, they, they can be informative and, and kind of helpful, but you can't really make a martial art out of that aspect of the negotiation and the, the judgment and the problem solving and the creative thinking. And, you know, really there's no substitute for real experience when it comes to that. No, no, but again, I think the difference is at least, at least try and address it because you don't try. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. There are, you know, does Ikea have the answer to someone who's a BJJ guy taking you down? The answer is probably not. But doesn't mean to say we shouldn't ask a question, and doesn't mean to say oh, we yeah. shouldn't try and answer. You know, because if, if you just ignore it, well, then right. you're never you're never going to have you're never going to have an answer. At least if you try or think about it or explore options, you're at least looking to try and you know. And I said, you know, you won't get it right. None of us will get it right. Some of us, you know, I've I said when I started to bring in these you know elements training, I, I've got. As much wrong because I've got right trying to bring much. You know, when I first started throwing the punches, it was very apparent. I was like, some of these people have never thrown punches in their life. We can't start going to drills where you're looking to you know, preemptive attendees moving to the control position because we've never even done proper attendees. So, you know, we need to go back to the, the basics for that. Sure. Uh, I'm not a boxing coach. I boxed many years ago, but I'm not, you know, it's been 20 years since I've put gloves on properly and actually physically. So I'm rusty and I'm not, am I qualified to coach something like that? Well, actually, not massively, hence, you know, if I do it, am I going to do it badly enough? But, and, and again, it's exploring stuff like that. So it's not, but I'd rather ask those questions and try than just sit back in the sand and go, right, well, you know, yeah, we don't need to do proper tenure, you know, let's just leave it at that and craft on the bliss, you know, take right. the old matrix, take the red pill, blue pill, and just be blissfully ignorant to what. what. I think there's a, there's a way to fit those those things in to make students aware of them. And, yeah. But without saying, you know, we're not specializing on the training of, of de-escalation because if you really wanted to be good at the negotiation part, that de-escalation part, that's what you want to practice several hours a week to say, you know, that's something that's very difficult to train. But yeah. here are the tools that you would use for de-escalation. And those, that to me is what bridges into the physical part because, and I'm sure you've seen this as a police officer is... <clears throat> the body language that you convey leads into the positioning that you want to start to, to veer to a superior position if you realize that this is going go, goes physical. And that might be a choice made by the other person, not made by you. 
in your case, as a police officer, it might be made by you. You have more latitude to take somebody into custody than, a, than an average citizen does generally. But yeah. that's where, you know, you stay with the, the verbal exchange level, but you're setting up, well, if this goes south, I want to make sure I'm in, a, I'm in a position where I can quickly apprehend and control this person. And that's... Yeah. It comes with experience. Like I said, that's the start, you know, is, is the good things about, yeah, whilst I don't think law enforcement, military barristers automatically make good self, you know, you, right. you don't become an automatic, just because you do one of those, you're not automatically great at self-defense, you're not automatically great at martial arts. A great martial artist doesn't make a great self-defense practitioner. A great self-defense practitioner wouldn't necessarily make a great martial artist or law enforcement, you know, but they, they hand in hand. What, what, what I would gain from that is, I could you, know, you get used to reading body, you know, if your job is, you know, you're, you're, you're always reading, you get better at picking up signals. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was probably better as a doorman because that was very much the job of you. You, know, you, you were for, for, very, you know, for two, three hours, my job was to watch everyone in that nightclub pick up on the cues. Mm-hmm. You know, other roles, you're not always doing that. You, you, do, you do it quickly to that situation just going wrong and then you're back in the car driving to the next job, you know, dealing with, you know, you're, you're not always at that level of intensity. Door work is probably the one for actually, if you want to get exposure, it's probably the best one because for that three-hour period, your job is to monitor everyone that's coming past you and thinking, right, you know, you know pick it up on their cues, pick it up on that stuff. And You learn the art then, of profiling and that, that yeah. has to be done in a real-world environment. Yeah, yeah, and, you, know, and you get better at it and you get it wrong. But you get it wrong. You know, I, I got it towards the end, you get it more right than wrong, but you still get it wrong and... I think there's something in Batari's box that we talked about before. That's uh, you know, my act, my behaviour would indicate what you know. If I walked in and was very arrogant and bullshit and aggressive, that will automatically would start indicating how you're going to respond to me. And of course, then that will feed me as to how I respond to that. And mm-hmm. it is accurate. And to some degree, you can't. I can't control how you're going to react to me, but I can control how I'm going to present to you. It's probably the best thing. And that's. You know, that's that hump, you know, and there are times where you think actually I need to be, you know, that assertive walk in, right? This I'm in charge, this is how it's going to go down, and that will make everyone listen to you. There's mm-hmm. times you went in with that same approach, you, you just lit the lit, lit the fuse and it's going to blow up. And you know, actually, what you need to do is come in and go, right, so what, yeah, back to my car scenario. You know, when, when, when I'm sat in the car, I've got two choices. If I go, listen, mate, get back in your car, shut up, there's nothing to do with you, that's probably going to. I, my my gut feeling was that would have probably lit the keg and I'd have ended up in a worse right. situation. Mm-hmm. Even though I'd done nothing wrong, it was better for me. To, I think actually, okay, look, you know, really sorry. I'll turn the lights down. I didn't realise it was doing it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, take that humble approach. Right. Well, I read that as a better way of not ending up in that conflict, and it worked. I didn't get. I think you know, he mm-hmm. dropped his guns a little bit about something and stormed back into his car and drove off. So. Mm-hmm. And I chalk that as a win. Some people will go, oh, well, you back down, you, you know, all that sort of well, stuff. Well, and that's well, the thing. If, if you put the template of a fighting, a fighter or a fighting mindset to that situation, you're right. That would have gone <laughs> in, in not a good way. But you don't, the idea that you can handle a physical situation is not that you have a fighter mind inside of you that you just unleash on somebody. Yeah. It is a, all right, I'll try to avoid, I'll try to get this situation resolved without there being a physical conflict. Uh, but to be ready for if it does happen to that, because, you know, you've dealt with irrational people. Um, a lot of civilized people never have, and, and you, they can be, whether they're drunk and belligerent or just sober and belligerent or whatever, they can decide 
I don't care what you hear, what you tell me. I don't care what you say. I'm angry and I'm going to, I'm going to go physical. They can make that decision. And that's, that's an important thing. The other thing to talk about training is, is if you think on that is, I'm fairly confident we can all say we've had a drink and we've all probably been a bit of an arse and we've had a drink. I'm, I, you know, I, I know I've done it. I'd be amazed if anyone says, no, I'm, you know, I'm always, you know, if you've had a bad day and you get drunk, it will bring out the bad side to you. We've all been there. Uh, and it's that sort of thing of remembering. And something, you know, we do in Ikea, I've tried to bring in a little bit is, Think about how you would, you know, practice your, you know, visualize your attack on someone. Because if you if you could visualize what you would do, and like we did it when we did the bar training, it was very much like right, you, you stand at the bar, right, all take a turn. How if you were going to attack that person, how would you do it? Because it's it, we all probably do it slightly differently. You know, I might approach you from the the back, the behind side, you know, stamp on the back of your legs and drop you down, and then start going to town on you. Someone else might walk straight into your face. And just go straight through your head, but you know, we would all have a different approach. If you can think or think about how you'd approach a problem as an attacker, that kind of helps you then also think, right, okay, how will I then counter that if I think about it as a as a defender? You know, no one is going to walk up to the street, just grab you across the body, and just stand there and hold you, which is what our knights and aikido attacks tend to start from, like a high handy, high handy grab like that. Think about, okay, if I was if I was going to grab someone, would I just grab their wrist and hold them? No, I wouldn't. Chances are I'm probably going to grab them much higher up, or I'm either going to push or pull, mm-hmm. and get my head nice and close so that they can't. You know, that's that's how I would probably grab someone. So actually, let's think about that. Like, right? let's think about that grab and think in a way that has that intent included in it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but think if you can think, you can think a little bit like you're a, the attacker. And I said, you know, like you know, like a car. You know, it'd be a great one. We didn't do it. I'll probably might revisit it. So they get on my shoes. Like, okay, let's sit on a chair. You're in the car, windows open. How would you attack? You know, would you? How would you attack him? Because if someone might go, oh, I'm just going to throw punches in. All right, okay, fine. I might reach in and grab him by the face. Okay, yeah. There's only limited ways of doing it, but you know, if everyone said they do the same thing, and again, you're looking for that reality. What is trained for? What is kind of realistic? If you're training for three ninjas jumping out of you and attacking you, a you're probably going to not succeed anyway. But b that's one percent. That's what I want. That's so unlikely to happen. Why worry about that? Train for that level of one to three level of violence because that's more than likely where you're going to get conflict. You know, I'm a middle-aged man now with wife and kids. I don't go out drinking. You know, for me, the last I can't remember the last time I went out on the you know Friday night drinking between the morning. You know, dancing, layering out. I'm more likely to get into conflict at the local supermarket. You know, I I steal someone's parking spot. He steals mine. We end up in an argument. That's that's the argument I'm going to get into. Not you know, two o'clock in the morning. Not a game fight. Yeah. You know, you get people doing nice stuff. You know, like, again, we're quite lucky in the UK. You know, firearms are really, you know, not that common. For you, as a, you know, unless you're involved in a criminal lifestyle, you're probably not going to come into contact with anyone with a firearm. So you could do training on it, but you're kind of wasting your time because, you, you know, you're really not going to get involved in it. Mm-hmm. States might be slightly different. People have more firearms. You might need to do more training. Knives, again, as much as there'll be a lot of knife crime, most people are not going to come across knife crime if you're, you know, especially if you're an Aikidoku who's a middle aged person, you know, you're not going to get, you know, if you live in a, in a city and it's really rough and people are getting stabbed, then you want to you want to kind of bring elements of what you, where you live and or what, what your exposure is going to be into what you train. If you're a doorman, you probably want to think about actually my biggest goal is to can I restrain someone taking from A to B because that's what my job's going to be. If I get, you know, if there's a fight, my job is to go and break the fight up, extract the problem, and extract it from my club. So that's 
you kind of need to focus your training on what you need it to do. You know, it's well, not job you know, from a history of martial arts standpoint, yeah. when when a culture had a had an influence from another culture, usually that that other group of people was invading and they would run across one another, each of their martial arts would change and adjust to one another because it would say, all right, my martial art needs to be able to handle this particular threat. And uh, you know, I've got a great respect for the Filipino martial arts because they were invaded by a lot of different other cultures throughout the centuries and their martial art was exposed to a lot. And it had a, a great deal of, of utility because it, it refined itself to deal with all manners of attacks. Um, you know, so to me, that's how I view that, that, that a martial art is a living thing. And just like you've trained for, you've taken your, your training and adjusted it to the type of application that you need. Uh, and I, I think that Aikido has the room for adjustments to be made for, for how people want to use it, what they think, you know, it's going to be what they need it for. Um, you know, I, I think as, as martial arts get more um, solidified into it, here's exactly what it is and it's not anything else. The more it's limited that way, it becomes inflexible. It's like a glass rod. It, it, you can, if you try to bend it, it just shatters. Um, but, but a martial art really needs to be a living thing that will adapt and it will, um, you know, you can, you can, it can shift and do different things without losing its soul. And I think that so many people will say of Aikido, it talks to me, it appeals to me in a way that I can't really describe, but I really like what its spirit and its soul is. And I feel that way about it too. But I don't feel like it's a glass rod that is limited to, you know, one particular thing. And if you try to adjust it at all, it just totally falls apart. I, I think yeah. it is a martial art and it is a living thing and it can, and it can evolve uh, and, and it nothing, should evolve. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the tradition. There's nothing wrong. I mean, I'm not a massive fan of the magic, no touch spirit stuff. I'll, I'll, but I've got you know, nothing wrong with traditional Aikido. People saying, no, this, you know, this is this is what we do, and like, there's a rigid structure to it, and I enjoy that. You know, there's nothing wrong with it, but also there's nothing wrong with you know making it personalised and taking a step to evolve it. And I think that, that's the, the other problem I kind of face with Aikido is I think there's a lot of people resistant to doing something that's not. You know, you, you hear that that's not Aikido quite a lot. Uh, I know been the Kid Martial Arts way web page we're involved with quite often. You know, people don't find find more, you know, the, the mainstream pages are much bigger and grow much faster because that's what people want and it's fine. But the both worlds can exist as long as you're honest about, you know, if someone said to me, said, oh, you know, I do pure XY keto, this is what I do, and this is why I do it, I've always done this way. And they've they're as long as they're honest and not trying to sell something to other people, I don't have an issue with that. It's when it's when people come along being like, you know, oh, you know, this, this will save your life, this will work in the real world, you know, you just got to train harder, faster, you know, the magic will come to you when you're 10 years in. It's like, hang on a minute. I don't think you've generally test I don't I don't think you've generally quantified that with a with a with some evidence behind it. I think you're mm -hmm. just kind of spout that that's when I start to and it's not just like you know, all martial arts, and there's Chinese martial arts that are the same well, low so many other arts have kind of fall behind that. You know, oh, you know, we, you know, just train harder, longer, faster, and the magic will happen in five years' time, ten years' time. And for me, you know, it's there's there's nothing wrong with Aikido at all. There's, you know, nothing, Aikido doesn't need to change what, how it starts. It just needs to, for me, for, well, for what I want from it, it, just needs to add a little bit onto the end, as opposed to. But people don't want to do that. That's fine. 
that, you know, there's no, I don't, I, I'm not saying, you know, the organization needs to be pulled apart, we need to restructure like it and change everything. No, you know, it's great the way it is, but can we bolt something, can we bolt a few things on it that might make it explore being a bit different? I don't think that's the wrong thing to do. Uh, I think the wrong thing is to limit it to say, no, you can't do that. The, you know, the big one is Aikido is non-competitive and there shouldn't be any aggression. Again, I teach preemptive stuff in my key because actually why am I going to wait if I'm going to get into a conflict and again I look at that as if I wait for a fight if I wait for someone to start throwing punches and hit me at best I'm going to end up having to use some more harder blocks that can cause more injury and that's probably my turn me back to get disruption and get control so the use of force response becomes higher mm-hmm. or because I've waited for an attack to happen the worst case scenario is I get my defence wrong when he clumps me and I get knocked down and injured her anyway so actually why yeah, if I'm going to go to conflict, if it's within the realms of law, actually, what's wrong with you know preempting and actually using that preemptive work? I'm not. I, I think the way I interpret what extends it is, it's not about starting conflict, but that doesn't mean to say you can't preemptively use you know force in conflict if, if, if the goal is to make sure that the least amount of harm is done at the end of it. Sure. You know, that, well, and a big part of that is reading the intent because. If you think about it, the attack really starts in somebody's mind. It's not the attack that starts in the body that you're concerned about. I mean, you are concerned about it, but you want to preempt, come in and see that decision being made and executing it before the body starts that attack. To me, that's what that Shoto Seizu control the first move really is about. It's not attacking somebody who hasn't the intent for violence. It's reading their intent and intercepting them before the physical part actually gets engaged because there's a there is a bit of a lag the conflict has started the conflict you said the conflict has started just right. hasn't manifested yet and that's what you're looking right. for you're looking to actually i like as you said, if you control the person in control of the fight is a person you know has a better chance of outcoming it getting a better outcome you know if, you, if you're in control you know back to the car scenario that person was in more control of that conflict than i was he was it so you know hence why i have to do what i have to do if it'd been the other way around I would have been the person in control. I could have dictated more how the conflict goes. And that's what you're looking for is that, you know, to be the person in control of it. You know, and this could actually lead us into a whole nother show. And that is because uh, you described it really well. To me, you just described the relationship of Arimi and Tenkan. Yeah. Like that, that it's a 50 50. You know, if you have the ability to intercede, you do it. If you have the ability to take the center line or to move into a superior position, you do it because you make that other pe- person feel like you did in the car seat of going, I'm kind of behind the eight ball here. I'm not in a good position to execute an attack. And you can, by doing that, intercept the physical conflict by just merely being in a place where they know they're at a position of disadvantage. Um, and, you know, I think that that's a great, elegant way to avoid the in- invitation to violence because once they have an advantage, now you're entirely trusting either they're going to make a benevolent decision not to enact physical violence on you, or you're counting on your ability to negotiate your way out. But if they know they're in an advantage position, even then they can, they can get the impression that you're probably bluffing. I mean, if you're playing poker and somebody's holding four aces, they're going to go, I, I don't care what you've got. I'm going to, I'm going to push it. Cause I know I've got an advantage. Um, and it's no, hard to I, bluff somebody that's got four aces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, it's, and it's just that. It's, yeah, I think you're right. I think there's a whole other view on how you. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's that good. good I think we're meant for 
good principles of physicality will transcend Aikido. Yeah, Aikido doesn't have anything in it that other martial arts don't have. You know, there's no, we don't hold any magical techniques or powers or, or right. anything like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have got good principles, you know, and the physicality techniques work. I think what again, and that's go back to what I was trying to do is can we can we can we be in a position to actually apply them? You know, Conor McGregor, you know, great use. If I had him bent over in a Nikio position and I put a Nikio on him, he would drop. The physicality of Nikio, you can't not work, you know, right. it, it will damage your ligament. Yeah, you know, it works. There's no doubt around it. You, you know, if you get someone in that position, they will drop. The reality is, is I am never going to be able to get, you know, a Nikio onto him because you know the, he's too, you know, he's too fast, too quick, and all the rest of it. So that's that's where we need to look at Akira. We we don't, we don't have to worry about the techniques not working. We know they work. What we need to make sure is, can we get them into position? Okay, and that for me, after that, can you get into a dominant position where I'm off balance, you're off balance, I've got some element of control. Rimini Tenkan, when we've done it, apply the principles, then your Aikido door opens up. But I don't think we pressure test ourselves getting to that position well enough that we could actually then, you know, if you walked into a MMA gym, you know, and Sandy, we've seen it, and we've seen various people over the years, you know, not perform that well, uh, you know, what they've done is they've walked straight into a high pressure test environment without building up to it. and. You know, we won't mention names of people seeing it as break those horribly wrong. Actually, you know, what what would work is if you build those pressure tests up over time and then walk into that sort of gym and then, you know, not a, not really steer, but that you probably have a better system of seeing how actually could you, sure. you know, because yeah. the, you know, the, the, the techniques exist. You watch them MMA, you can see people, you know, Cy and you see people do those sort of techniques. You see, you see people grip and, you know, do, sank, you know, you see some of the BJJ, you know, slide under the geese and they get Sankos on and Nikos on. All the techniques are there. Everything that we have in Aikido is in MMA. It's in. If you kind of look for the... Would it look like an Aikido technique? No, it won't. But the principle and the physicality of it is there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's where people just... You know, we, need to, we, need to, we need to marry the two up a little bit at times. Sure. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. You know, and I, the, the, what I wanted to end on actually from this is the idea, my experience anyway, with Firstly, I was taking this in myself as wanting to expand my art, but then I also transpose this into teaching it to my students. We actually had a really fun time doing this. It, it's easy to think, well, boy, if I, if I get outside the choreography part, it's going to be scary and, and you know, intimidating, and, and it's going to be something that is not going to be well-received. I found the actual opposite. It builds a level of confidence. It's fun to play around. And really, that is it. You're kind of crossing over into playing with your martial art because the creativity and letting your attacker do whatever they want, it feels more like you're playing. And because you're not going 100% intensity, you know, you're starting just like you said at lower levels, but getting more creative, have a little bit of resistance here. Uh, you're sort of horsing around. I find that when my students start doing this, we start kind of laughing and enjoying ourselves because the unpredictability you get over that, that it's scary. You, you put that aside and be like, we're in a safe enough place. We can play around. Yeah. We're going to lose. We're going to get into a bad position. You learn by all those things you learn by failure. You don't learn by success. Yeah. And, and so, but it's a fun process. And as that confidence builds, I've had students comment, even just on head covers, like, wow, I feel really safe when I, when I know how to do that. I know I'm not going to get hit in the face. That's a huge, uh, empowering feeling to know that you have a simple motion that you can do that will keep you from getting cranked in the in the head 
Um, and, and, that, and that empowerment, I think, is what martial arts training is built on. Like, that's the bedrock of why we yeah. train for physical, that physical conflict, to be confident and not be frightened and not be uh, frozen in fear. We know, what we, we know what we can do. We know it's simple. We know it's direct. And we can convey that. And I can teach somebody who's a white belt that in a week. You know, they'll get better at it as they practice it more. But I can get them that confidence real fast. Um, and integrate it with everything that Aikido does. You know, you want to get close to somebody, make sure you get there without getting hit in the head. Like that's a huge, huge thing. But once you get close, now you have all the manipulations, the Ariminages, your, you know, everything, Hikitoshis, all the stuff that's, that is right in our wheelhouse, you can get to very safely and with great confidence. And, and that's a fun question. Quick, quick question back to you as well is also, you're an experienced sensei, you know, if you didn't work, if you weren't doing that, where's, where's the development as a sensei? Don't you know, once you've, you know, I'm, I'm a knee down now, they probably, if you look at the Aikido syllabus, there's nothing on there that I can't do. Mm -hmm. And I, I know what I tend to do, you end up playing around, you know, we've got a grid is from the, what the, the, the there's like the, the, the BA sort of syllabus type thing is. Mm -hmm. And now I end up playing with like, it said, I can't do uh, this technique from that grab or, Right. Let's, let, let's let me find a way of getting that technique on. So, mm -hmm. if you were to do that, how would sensei? Would you? Because you know, you, you watch high-ranking senseis do demonstrations and stuff. You're a bit like, okay, that's nice, but it's it's just the same techniques. You know, sometimes I'm a bit harder, flashy, and all this sure. stuff. So, I think actually, do you think that this is as a development as a sensei? Once you've once you've mastered keto, you know, once you've actually got a, grip, a good understanding of all the techniques and you can apply and all that sort of stuff. Do you find this is actually helping you keep on your toes and develop yourself as a sensei to keep going on as well? Um, it's, yeah, it's, I guess this is like, oh, I'll throw you a question. Yeah, no, no, that's to... a good one. That's a good one. And I guess this is where I start to separate the difference between an instructor and a coach where an instructor wants to convey all of the curriculum. They need to every, you know, students need to know every single technique uh, equally well which in my mind comes with the, you can be kind of that jack of all trades and master of none where you, where you know them all, but you're not really good at any particular set versus a coach who will try to get the best out of their student and say, we're going to get you a subset of this curriculum, but you're going to be really good at what you do. And you're going to have some, I call them hip pocket techniques or some things that you know and trust, and they're always at your fingertips. Um, because I've got a small enough school, I think a lot of instructors are like this, you know, where, you know, I've got 10 to dozen, up to two dozen students at, at, at times, where I know each one of them, I know their strengths, their, their personalities, their body types, I will say, here's a technique that's probably going to work for you because of your specific, you know, who you are, let's work on that part, rather than saying, I'm going to teach you this whole curriculum part. Um, and, you know, the thing, I, the thing that I took from your question, too, is, you know, if you are an instructor and you're used to teaching that curriculum, how do you start to drift towards the coach part or how do you start to get creative? And I was lucky enough to find some mentors who were able to teach me outside of that, my Aikido realm. And in learning that, I would start to Initially, there didn't seem to be much crossover, but the more I studied other things, the more I saw the principles of Aikido in them, whether it was wrestling, kicking, uh, pugilism, all kinds of different things. They looked so different at the time, but they had a lot of crossover. And then there was another uh, 
thing, if you cannot find a mentor, take a look at what real fights tend to look like and, and get an idea because we've seen what Aikido looks like, especially the, the demonstration type. It has a, its own look and, and, but look at, at surveillance videos, look at real fight type things and, and really analyze it like you would analyze Aikido technique. Cause we we're used to watching our instructors. What are their feet doing? What are their hips doing? What's the upper body doing? What is the attack doing? You know, what, what are the dangers and what are the, what, what are the nuances? An instructor should be able to see nuances and then take that vision and look at a street ambush or a, a bar fight or, you know, see how that plays out. What are the attacks you're seeing? What are the body motions and the threats? You know, how would somebody deal with that? And you can actually start to transpose and say, okay, well, let's recreate that a little bit, you know, have get a, a senior fellow student or a fellow student that's got a little bit of experience say let's try to recreate this and see what an option would be that we can take from our curriculum that might fit that part like it's all a laboratory it's like experimenting um including things like close quarters because that's what you'll often see with real fights is it's not in a big open space generally then I mean, yeah there's some parking lot fights but ten it tends to be tables and chairs around maybe between parked cars uh, limited space, uh, even playing around with that, just taking your regular Aikido practice and go into a hallway and now practice and see what that looks like. We've done it exactly back, back to the wall. Everything. Yeah. Aikido, but start, start with the back to the wall. So you, you, know, you, do, you do nothing different, but when you haven't got space to move, it just makes you have to think differently. So yeah, yeah, pretty exactly. agree. And there's a lot of adventuring thing. I mean, you can take your bobs, roll them out on the floor, and now there are people standing around and you, or their posts or, or furniture, and you can practice, oh, I've got limited space now. And by starting that exploration, once you do it, it's like this long path that you can travel and enjoy for a long, long time, because there's no real end to it. Um, you know, and as you go along, you probably get to that, okay, well, what if I get tackled? What if I get taken down? What do I do then? You know, um, it's a great exploration. I've really enjoyed it. My students love it. Um, and it, there's such growth that happens with it. Um, and I don't feel at, at any point, like I've given up on the soul or spirit of Aikido in, of course, it's what I view it as. And we could, that's a whole nother argument of what is Aikido and nobody, you know, you get five Aikido practitioners and you'll get 10 opinions about what Aikido is. Um, but to me, it's finding an elegant solution to the problem of violence, ending it as quickly as possible and protecting yourself. That's the ultimate goal. Um, and I find many things fit into that. And I, I'm not real persnickety about what I steal from other arts that seems to fit well with Aikido's main purpose, which is we are not indulging in violence. Uh, we, are, we want to end it and end it very quickly with the minimal amount of damage to ourselves, obviously, but not causing unnecessary harm to other people. Like to me, that's the criteria. So good question, way to turn it around. <laughs> um, my, my interrogation techniques. Is I, I see, you're, you're a clever one, sir. Very clever. Um, well, I, will, I'll, I think we should wrap it up, but I wanna give you the last word. I wanna thank you for coming on the show. And uh, is there anything you wanted to, to throw out to wrap it up? No, no I, I, just a pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Know, uh, we've made good conversations. I just think, you know, if anyone is watching it, think, you know, you know, take those extra steps. Even if you're a very traditional school, 
you know, you can take these steps, maintain the spirit of tradition, I think, you know, even if it's okay, right, we're going to, you know, the attempt is obviously all right, we're going to, we're going to stick with our very, like, you know, set attendees, but bring some, bring some pads in, bring some contact. You can take these steps and still re remain very much within the traditional world and within the spirit of, you know, the organisations or the you know, senses of Aikido. You don't have to think, oh my God, my insane, turn it into, you know, a combative school that goes, you know, all the way down that rugby hole. You don't have to do that, but take those steps because you will, like you said, you will enjoy it. It's a, it's a fun experience and it's a learning experience, but it's still fun. I, I think it's great fun when we get stuff, you know, and I end up on my shoes, not me on my backside. And I'm, you know, it's great fun. You learn from that. So don't be scared to take those steps because I've, I've, I think it's improved my Aikido and it's improved my, my ability to think actually can, is there some benefit? Could, is this going to help me when I need it to? And the answer is yes, it will do. But if you don't, if you don't, if you don't find out in the dojo, you won't find out in the real world. That's yeah, how I've kind of. It's very empowering, on. and that's something that that I found my students love, and I love it myself. It's true confidence. Totally. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Martin. It's been great talking to you, my friend, uh, as always, uh, and we'll hope to talk to you real soon. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for the time. Appreciate it. You bet. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this discussion. Stay tuned for more episodes. I've got some great stuff on the way very soon. In the meantime, enjoy your training.